have uh, not gotten uh, enough of our members to get to yes. Rookie's error for bringing this up on a day. You clearly are not ready. I have concluded that I cannot support Judge Neil Gorsuch's nomination to the Supreme Court. There's more, probably more evidence that CNN included with the Clinton campaign to get her debate questions. You seem to have an obsession with the process and not the substance. There's no plan. I mean, this is, there's plan A and plan A. We're going to get this done. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. Caruso, the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Thursday podcast, the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast is Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. Welcome and thank you for being part of the program on a very, very busy news day and a very busy news week. We continue. We do not have a health care vote today, as originally expected. So all that, a lot of details on that that we'll get to, plus an update on the uh, terror attacks and conversations that we'll have about national security and a lot coming up uh, in the second part of the podcast as well with the intelligence leaks and the uh, Supreme Court confirmations of Neil Gorsuch, the confirmation hearings uh, having its last day on Capitol Hill. But uh, we'll start with the health care because uh, that's going to affect you. It's going to affect um, uh, affect policy. The problem is you kind of you heard a clip there in the intro of Sean Spicer at the press briefing today saying, you know, the media is too concerned about process. Um, well, we're kind of we're seeing how the sausage is being made in, in this bill. And you, you never really want to know what's being packed in. Um, but you know, I've read the details. I've gone over the details on this podcast, and I'd rather, you know, talk about policy. But the process is just as important in terms of um, why they're doing this in three stages in a uh, three-pronged approach put forth by the Trump White House. And uh, the House of Representatives just really, um, they're, they've totally foobarred this entire process. Um so, you know, I blame Paul Ryan, I blame Republicans for the way this was rolled out. A terrible rollout to begin with. It wasn't communicated well. They didn't have a consensus bill. And I've said it again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They had seven years. Today is the seventh anniversary of the disastrous Obamacare bill. Okay. And they passed it. You know, you're going to hear from Nancy Pelosi a couple of times on the podcast today. Well, you know, remember, we have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. Well, we know what's in this bill, and it's not that great. Um, it doesn't get rid of the uh, too much from Obamacare. It doesn't reduce prices that much. Uh, new CBO report, Congressional Budget Office report, uh, coming out this evening, early this evening, uh, saying that um, there are smaller savings from the revised GOP plan that President Trump is still negotiating and still marking up, along with Congress. I feel like Trump is doing more work on this than the House of Representatives that has put forth this bill. And I don't blame Trump. I think they're, they're trying to they're trying to put it on Trump. 
in a sick way, and I'll get to that in a second, but just to tell you what the CBO report uh, found, that um, it would lead to less than half of the savings to repeal, uh, less than half of the savings uh, to the federal budget over the next decade than have been estimated under the original version of the uh, American Health Care Act. The CBO estimates that the revised bill would not result in bigger losses in the number of insured Americans that have been projected for the prior version of the plan. The newer version, as with the first version, is expected to lead uh, to 14 million uh, fewer people having health insurance in 2018 and 24 million fewer uh, Americans insured by 2026. But the reason for that, a big part of that, just to understand, is you're taking out the mandate. You're not going to be required to have health insurance anymore. So there are a lot of people that, frankly, don't want health insurance. A lot of young people have said, I'd rather take the penalty. I'd rather pay the tax. It's really not a tax. It's a penalty. I'd rather pay that than um, than having to uh, to actually buy insurance because the cost is too much. Now, this revised American Health Care Act is also projected to have the same effect on insurance premiums as the original Republican proposal, according to uh, the CBO. Um, CBO says that average premiums for single customers in the individual health plan market are still estimated to be 15% to 20% higher in 2018 and, 20, and 2019 if the bill becomes law uh, than would be the case under Obamacare. But that's just in the short term. So you'll have a short-term increase, but over time, the average premiums by 2026 are projected to be 10% lower than they would be under Obamacare. Uh, the earlier version of the GOP's bill had been projected by the CBO to lead to about $337 billion in savings to the federal budget through 2026. The revised uh, version of the plan would lead to savings of less than amount. That would be $150 billion uh, in savings of the budget. So it still reduces the uh, deficit, but uh, it's a little, you know, a, the revised plan is a little better. We're still not fully there, um, and it's still being marked up. Now, the Freedom Caucus, you know, a lot of people, I've been talking about the Freedom Caucus, and what I realize is a lot of people don't even know what the Freedom Caucus or what a caucus is. So let me just um, make that clear and then kind of go through this negotiation process that has been taking place all week in Washington. Um, the Well, first of all, if you follow the primary season in the election, you know there are some primaries and there are caucuses. Uh, for example, Iowa, they have a caucus. They are the first, um, the first in the primary season – to have a primary slash caucus. They do a caucus, um, which is basically a group of members from a party that get together and they uh, they decide on uh, who that state votes for. Uh, it's done a, uh, oftentimes a primary, well, a, um, a caucus uh, during the primary season will be conducted by, um, by majority or there'll be hands raised in, in, a, uh, in a meeting until they have a majority, and they go through rounds of that. Um, so what the Freedom Caucus is, the most conservative members of the House of Representatives, they formed during the Obama administration to basically band together opposing a lot of the Obama-era legislation 
that um, you know is pretty uh, all the way to the left, and so these more conservative members banded together. And the Freedom Caucus is uh, not signing on to President Trump's—well, really not President Trump's, but this House bill, the American Health Care Act. Now, President Trump has endorsed it, obviously, and he's been negotiating. But the way I see it and the way I—I I feel as if they're trying to pin this on Trump. Paul Ryan is a mess with this whole legislation. Paul Ryan came out here, and he's been pushing this. He's not—I thought he's more conservative than this, to be honest with you. He comes out, and he puts this bill together and says, and basically says it is a— binary decision that you either vote for it or you're, you know, you're a rhino, basically, is what he's saying, a Republican name only, and makes it that it's a it's a choice. You either want to repeal it or you don't, and this is the only way to do it. But there was no consensus plan. And after seven years you had, there should have been a consensus plan. They should have involved the Freedom Caucus from the beginning and gotten conservatives on board because the Freedom Caucus is very principled. And their conservative principles, and that would truly their conservative principles and free market, true free market, would lower costs. Um, I went over the bill again today, and and some of the language in it that you know it says, well, if you make X amount of dollars, a hundred, you know, you make a hundred thousand dollars between this amount. I don't. I'm not even going to read the exact language of it because you get the picture, and I don't want to confuse you too much. Um, more than you may be already with this bill, but if you look at the language in it, it makes ex um, exceptions and exclusions in this bill based on um, based on income uh, bracket, and it's just it doesn't um, it's not f fully a free market approach. So I can understand where the Freedom Caucus is coming from, and I and I personally agree with them for the most part, not totally, but I do agree with them for the most part. Now. You have a three-pronged approach that is necessary because – now, this is where the process is important. This is a reconciliation bill, and the reason why it has to be a reconciliation bill – well, the House the House is worried that it will be filibustered in the Senate, and it would be because the Democrats are opposing everything that gets put forth in front of them that is part of the Trump agenda. I don't see this as politically damaging if it got lost, if, it, if the vote lost. But it does set up for tax reform, and President Trump said this has to come first. So the three-pronged approach, you have the, this process that would start with a budget reconciliation, and the budget reconciliation, basically what a budget reconciliation is is that it is um, they make it a budget measure in that they're more concerned about the, the deficit and if it exceeds a certain deficit, it would be shot down pretty much automatically. This is what the Obama administration did, is that they put forth the Obamacare bill as a budget reconciliation in which President Obama basically was able to push this through, ram it down Republicans' throats without any Republican agreement on it. And, you know, he pretty much put this legislation forth um, using his bully pulpit and executive power. Now, now it led— to a huge obliteration of the Democratic Party. I mean, you've had state legislature seats, over 700 of them being lost since 2009, and you've had the party just totally obliterated, as talk about, um, I'll bring up in the second segment today about the party. So Republicans, I guess, are rightfully concerned about re-election. 
But I say that's nonsense, and this is where the draining of the swamp comes in. You need to not be so concerned about re-election and be more concerned about putting forth the right plan for the American people because their job here is to put forth legislation that is going to benefit the American people, that is going to lower costs in terms of health care, and make the most sense. And I feel as if there are a lot of these establishment Republicans and Democrats who are not truly working for the American people. And President Trump is trying to negotiate here. So you have a major negotiation going on. Let me play you some sound. Uh, Mark Meadows, he is a Republican from North Carolina and the Freedom Caucus chairman. He's been back and forth with President Trump. The Freedom Caucus met at the White House with the president this morning at the White House. And um, this is what Mark Meadows had to say following that meeting on the status of the negotiation. This is just before it came out that the um, House vote would not take place tonight. Um, again, this is Mark Meadows, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Republican from North Carolina. Here we are uh, tonight uh, continuing to debate this in good faith, not only with uh, our own conference, but certainly with the president engaged. Uh, we have uh, not gotten uh, enough of our members to get to yes at this point uh, under what we're currently considering. However, I would say progress is being made, and that progress that is being made is uh, uh, really uh, should be applauded with the efforts of the White House to try to not only deliver on a campaign promise, but to deliver lower premiums for every American from coast to coast and in between. And, and so I would say that at this point, uh, the president's engagement uh, is, is unparalleled, in, uh, I believe, in, in the history of our country to actually engage a number of members, whether they be moderates or conservatives. Uh, and, and I think it's indicative of just a, a president that wants to solve problems. Even meeting with somebody like Elijah Cummings on drug uh, uh, prescription drug um, actual uh, uh, cost and price. I mean, what he, he, he said today in the meeting was he, he singled out Elijah Cummings and said he wants to work on an issue for a Democrat. This is a president that wants to get things done. And so I can tell you the Freedom Caucus is committed to working with the president to get this done. Uh, this artificial deadline that we have at this particular point of, of a vote tonight uh, actually is something that we, uh, we imposed on ourselves. And so I'm very uh, encouraged and optimistic that if we continue to work together, and by that uh, we plan to reach out uh, to some of the me members of the Tuesday group, to have some real discussions on how we can come together and have consensus, realizing there's uh, different motivations for different members of our conference. Chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Mark Meadows, what he means by the Tuesday group and their meeting with President Trump this evening at the White House, um, they are the more moderate Republicans. Now, it, President Trump has definitely no chance he tried at the beginning, which is ironic because Democrats don't want anything to do with Trump. He tried at the beginning to involve Democrats. Now, put them aside because they're not going to play ball at all. You have the moderate Republicans who, I guess, favor this, you know, they have this idealism of, you know, and I like to consider myself moderate, but on this, you got to go conservative. 
It's the only way it's going to lower prices. It's a completely free market approach. Um, the more moderate Republicans here favor a lighter version of Obamacare, what Rand Paul has called Obamacare light. And they want some of the elements of Obamacare that was in this American Health Care Act at the beginning. Um, things that Paul Ryan put in. And I think the problem here, it really stems from what the role of government is in healthcare. Um, on uh, my social media, I think it was today, this morning, um, Christian Ladagoski, who works for my company, does a great job putting out a lot of these social media quotes. And I said on last Sunday's show about the role of, talked about the role of government in terms of healthcare and, and that basic question of, is it the government's duty to provide health care for people? And I'd argue no, and I'd argue that government screws everything up and that if you have a free market element to health care, mostly free market, if you could do all free market, it'd be great, that'll lower prices and Americans deserve choice. A lot of people don't want insurance or they don't need certain things. You know, the question of maternity leave came up uh, at the press briefing today with Sean Spicer. Well, why would – you could get maternity leave in a package, but why would that have to be rammed down? Why, why does that have to be an entitlement that if you're a male, you don't need the maternity leave? So why are you paying for that? You know, there are certain elements that just don't make sense in our American uh, health care, not specifically this American Health Care Act, but in general the health care that exists in this country since Obamacare. And it created this entitlement – that people deserve health care. And it's just a lot of people don't want it. They don't want to be mandated to have it. Um, and they don't necessarily want certain aspects. Some people want full catastrophic care and they want a full, you know, comprehensive plan. Great for them. And they could purchase that in the free market. They should be able to. But then you have some people say, listen, I just want I want some insurance in case I get, you know, I get very sick. I want maybe uh, you know, a plan that's gonna cover just certain, you know, preventative medications in a month. So let them decide what they want in their plan. You know, it's like any good or service. You don't, you want choice. You don't want to have to buy a huge package with most of the stuff you're not going to use. It's like when they make the, you know, all-inclusive, like, you know, two-for-one deals. Well, I don't want two-for-one. I just want the one. You know, you know what I'm saying. And that should be the same with healthcare. Now, this is what the Democrats are saying. This is Nancy Pelosi, the House Democratic leader. Bear with her because she's got to spit this out. Um, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi um, calling President Trump's plan a rookie mistake. This is the House majority leader. As bad as Trump care was, uh, Republicans have been up to all night trying to make it worse. They're scrambling to find a bill that they can pass on the floor. I don't know if you want to call this, on Trump's part, a rookie's error, but you don't find a day and say we're going to pass a bill. You build your consensus in your caucus, and when you're ready, you set the date to bring it to the floor. But so eager were they to, I don't know, to be mean-spirited, to say we're going to bring up this bill on the same day as the seventh anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. Rookie's error, Donald Trump. You may be a great negotiator, rookie's error for bringing this up on a day when clearly you're not ready. And how are they moving to get ready? Here's how they're moving. 
Now we hear Republicans are planning changes to destroy the protections of more than 155 million Americans who get coverage through their employers. Eliminating essential health benefits. You've probably seen, I don't have it here, but essential health benefits that were something we we're very proud of in the Affordable Care Act. I'll just say that the essential health benefits means Republicans are making being a woman a pre-existing condition again. Stripping guaranteed maternity care is a pre pregnancy task, tax, pure and simple. Stripping guaranteed maternity care is a pregnancy tax, pure and simple. All right. Well, you know, Nancy Pelosi repeats herself and just she has to spit it out. But here's the deal, though. They're playing scare taxes to Democrats and the Republicans kind of left them to be able to do that. Um, now, the issue, I just want to tackle this from what Pelosi said. Pelosi says that it's uh, that they're taking away women's rights. Hey, all right, listen, let's tackle this because Al Franken tweeted today. Um, but with continued attacks on women's reproduction rights and efforts to defund Planned Parenthood, the GOP is showing that they don't respect women's freedom. It's actually just the opposite. Smaller government and free market creates freedom for all. They want to create dependency, they meaning the liberal Democrats. They want to create dependency on government where women are dependent on the government for health care, for abortions, okay? And since when – and I just got to ask this question, and I don't want to get into an abortion debate today. But since when did abortions become reproductive rights? Abortion has nothing to do with reproduction. It's you know ending the life. But it's not dealing with the reproductive phase. So since when – just a basic question here. When did abortion become reproductive rights? Answer that for me. If you can explain that, let me know. Tweet at me, okay? Because I don't get that. It's not reproductive rights for an abortion, okay? Um, meanwhile, you know, smaller government – like I said, will allow you to be free. The Having a dependency on government where they want to create not only a dependency, but, you know, they want to create entitlement. They want to create this entitlement mentality. They want you to feel like you are a victim and that it's only the government that can swoop in and help you. Meanwhile... You know, women can't afford health care under the bureaucratic Obamacare. So what Pelosi is saying is totally backwards because under Obamacare, women cannot get health, nor children, nor adults, adult men. No one – I mean the, the premiums are so high people cannot get health insurance or health coverage, health care. Doctors have left the marketplace. They don't accept insurance, and why should they? So, you know, you're – to play these identity politics that you're separating women from men and, you know, and you play these games, okay? Healthcare is healthcare. Health insurance plays a role in that. But Obamacare just created a mandate and mandated people to get – to go on an insurance plan. 
But that insurance card didn't mean that you were given lower costs of healthcare. It did just the opposite, was raise it. Because the more you take competition away and institute a communist system of healthcare, government-controlled healthcare, the more you move towards that with less competition, you are creating not only a dependency on the government, but they cannot meet the demand. You cut out competition, and that's going to increase wait times, and that's going to result in more medical issues, more long-term health issues. It's basic economics. So there should be a more conservative plan. And on the process point of this, because the process is really what's getting the headlines and is really irking people, as it should, they should have had a plan in place seven years ago. But, okay, you didn't think you'd win because President Trump was a Republican nominee and they were mostly opposed. 97% of D.C. voted against Trump, voted for Hillary Clinton, okay? Um, they didn't think that they were going to win. Okay, fine. November 9th, you knew you had a president who wanted to repeal and replace Obamacare. Enough with saying repeal and replace, do it. And if this bill, and listen, this bill, it may not be the end-all, be-all, okay? Now, the House is saying they're going to vote on Friday, despite not having all the votes there. They're still marking this up. They're still negotiating. President Trump is now bringing all these different groups together, moderate Republicans, conservative Republicans, and he's negotiating. He's on the phone Wednesday night till midnight with congressmen saying, you know, what can we do? How can we can we get this passed so that we can um, relieve Americans of the Obamacare mess and reduce prices? What are your thoughts? And I'm sure he's talking to experts as well. And he's had people at the White House. But not only is it time to act, it's also time to get it right. So a lot of times we are very caught up in this today's society of immediacy. You know, with our social and digital age, it's all about immediacy. Let's focus on getting it right. It doesn't have to be done tomorrow. If the votes aren't there, I'm fine with delaying it and getting this bill right. Now, it should have been done right from the beginning and include all Republicans in this. It wasn't done right from the beginning. So now what do you do? I think you have to take a step back. This is all part of the art of the deal. But take a step back, and if it's not going to be done right, don't fall into the to the Democrats' hands here. Because this is where they screwed up. They pushed it down Republicans' throats, and Nancy Pelosi famously said, well, we have to pass this you know, $1,000, 1,000-page uh, uh, bill before we can find out what's in it. That was in March 2010. So now at this point... It's really about getting it right, uh, making sure that it's right for the American people and the lower its cost. So if it means prolonging this a couple of weeks, fine. President Trump is moving at lightning fast speed. He is not the problem. The problem are the congressmen who wasted a lot of time. And now we're in this position. And President Trump is negotiating and they're trying to pin it on Trump. But it's really the plan from the House. And it goes to show you what government always screws up. And they can't just pack this into a Republican plan and say, okay, new plan, we are repealing Obamacare. Because 
you're still not dealing with the basic issue of what is the government's role here. And if that means 24 million Americans are going to be left off because they're not mandated, and a lot of them don't want to be mandated, that's fine. But let's not get caught up in the um, the political media uh, talking about, well, you know, they said that they're going to have health care for all. No, you're going to have fair health care that people who want it can have it. Let's not get into entitlements here because that's what Republicans are basically um, pushing is is an entitlement wrapped up in, in another name. Don't fall into that trap because entitlements don't work. They create dependency, and frankly, it doesn't do the job that it's supposed to do, which is lower costs and help people who can't otherwise help themselves. So let's do it right. Let's slow down and get it done. Um, get it done, but also be wary of the fact that entitlements don't work and let's not, you know, fall into the liberal trap here. Because you're either going to repeal it and gut it completely and put a new plan in there that's going to really lower costs, but at the same time is not going to have too much government control. Because government should not be in control of our health. Uh, plain and simple there. Oh, those were Nancy Pelosi's words. I shouldn't say plain and simple anymore. Um, I Let's get on to national security. So... Um, Tonight, there, there is reporting that um, uh, in a step towards extreme vetting, uh, the U.S. has ordered new security checks on people seeking visas for work, tourism, or family visits. So good, because we need these extreme vetting policies. Now, I'm going to talk about the travel suspension in a moment. Now, obviously, it's being blocked by the courts. And that travel suspension should have been in place. Um, and you know... 8 U.S. Code, Section 1182F, clearly states the president has a duty to protect the American people. The Constitution says that as well. And he can suspend immigration as he may deem necessary. That's the language in the law. Um, when you had that terror attack, and I got into detail about, um, you know, yesterday, and the terror attack, and I, I talked about open borders, and the problem with the ideology of radical Islam. Well, um, this terror attack where the um, the perpetrator, the assailant, uh, his name is Khalid Masood. Um, he is a, you know, what they're saying is he is a 52-year-old um, Britain native. But here's the deal, though. They're trying to take away from the ideology. It doesn't matter that he was a citizen of Britain. He pledged allegiance to the Islamic State. And ISIS took credit for this attack that killed four. Theresa May, uh, the prime minister of Great Britain, says that they're not afraid that they're going to carry on as normal. But we're not in a normal state of mind. The, um, the Islamic um, threats, uh, terrorist attacks in now Britain, Brussels, Paris, and others, Berlin— uh, they're not normal. So you're you're trying to move on with your life and ignore it, but you just can't. You know, I'm in Manhattan yesterday, and I see tons of police officers out. And obviously it was on everyone's mind. That's the day and age that we live in now. It's an ideology. It doesn't matter if the person was a British citizen. It matters if they who they pledge allegiance to. Just because you have a piece of paper that says, I'm an American citizen, or I'm a citizen of Britain, that doesn't 
mean that they shouldn't have their rights stripped away. If you know that they pledged allegiance and this person was on the radar of law enforcement officials in Great Britain, on the radar, similar to how the Boston bomber, Zarnayev, was on the radar and interviewed by the FBI. This is not normal, folks. And you have to now deal with this ideology. And it doesn't, if you know that someone is a radical or that they are going back and forth from Syria, they pledge allegiance to ISIS, they go to the a radical mosque, then there should be no reason why you cannot strip them of their civil liberties and also close these mosques and interrogate. There's no reason why when you have a threat of radical Islamic terror that killed four in London, that they are trying to do more damage than 9-11, that you cannot, um, by law enforcement techniques and traditional policing, it is not um, unquestionable or unreasonable to ask that you use preventative tactics to ensure that we don't have a terrorist attack in this country. It's called extreme vetting. And so you need to know who is in this country. And if you're here illegally, then there should be some reporting. There should be investigations. When you have a 14-year-old raped in a high school by an 18-year-old high school freshman who has been on the radar of our intelligence officers... That person did not belong in that classroom, did not belong in that hallway, that school. And they need to do a better job. Our law enforcement um, needs to be, they need to have their handcuffs stripped off of them. There's been too much politicizing of our law enforcement and too many uh, questions in terms of how they go about their job. Allow them to do their job and prevent attacks. They're quick to defend. I mean, I, I, I can't believe my ears at some points, they're actually defending the terrorists. Now, oh, well, no, maybe he just had a poor life. And Are you serious? You're defending a terrorist. And you hear this from the left. And they start actually defending the terrorists and saying, well, maybe he had issues. Well, obviously he had issues, but that doesn't give him a right to drive a car on, uh, on a bridge and kill four people and injure over 20 and kill a UK police officer with a knife and stab him a million times. Now, ISIS targets in the West, whether they be direct or inspired attacks, have occurred in France, Germany, the UK, Denmark, Belgium, the United States, and Canada. And... They will stop at nothing to continue these deadly attacks. And they want to kill Americans and kill our freedom. The London attack suspect was twice the age of the average ISIS recruit, which is 26 to 27 years old. Only 3% of people charged in ISIS-related cases in the U.S. are over 50. Uh, he was uh, 52. But uh, the Ohio State attacker here in the U.S. was 18. Uh, Normandy Church, 19. Uh, the Christmas Market in uh, 
France, 24. Those are the gauges. Um, or excuse me, that's at Belgium. And Nice, 31. So, I mean, you know, you're dealing with this ideology that has to be defeated. And you need to unleash law enforcement to be able to do their job. And they're being supported by our president. But still, there's a lot of criticism of them. And, you know, it's pretty obvious now when you look at, you know, you could have almost predicted this. This London attack occurred one year to the dates of the ISIS attack in Brussels at the airport. And we talked about that and how deadly that attack was. All about open borders. It was a refugee who walked in through the uh, through the open border system in the EU. Um, th- this was also occurred on the day that an anti-ISIS coalition met in Washington. And as our coalition prepares for a Raqqa offensive. All of these things are connected to this terror attack. And they move quickly. And they and I don't know how we would prevent it, to be honest with you. I'm not a law enforcement officer. But when you have such clear connections and could have been predicted, and if you have an extreme vetting policy in place where you are checking people, and if you see something, you say something, you're suspicious of something, somebody, you stop them. And you vet them. Uh, you got to almost determine what's in their heart, which is very difficult to do, almost impossible. You need to be able to have that power. And when you have all these connections, you know, you wonder, uh, is law enforcement kicking themselves? And the, sadly, the victim, the American victim from Utah was a man who was celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary with his wife. Kurt Cochran, 54 years old, whose wife was seriously injured, passed away, died as a result of this terrorist attack. I'm going to tell you his story. Couples vacationing in London to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. Melissa Cochran remains hospitalized with broken, uh, broken bones. Um, her brother released a statement through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, saying, quote, Our family is heartbroken to learn of the death of our brother and son-in-law, Kurt W. Cochran, who is a family of Wednesday's terrorist attack, was a victim of Wednesday's terrorist attack in London. Kurt was a good man and a loving husband to her sister and daughter, Melissa. That's the family statement. Um, they were having what their family called a dream vacation. The attacker... Uh, 52-year-old Khalid Massoud, as we mentioned, drove an SUV into pedestrians at Westminster Bridge before running toward Parliament, shutting down their government, and fatally stabbing a policeman, 48-year-old Keith Palmer. The Utah couple, to give you a little bit about them, um, police, by the way, did shot the attacker, who has been pronounced dead. Uh, the Cochrans were struck by the SUV as they walked on the bridge over River Thames. Uh, relatives said Mr. Cochran passed away Thursday morning from his injuries, and they set up a GoFundMe page um, for the Cochrans, and uh, this is what they wrote about the couple. Uh, Melissa and Kurt are self-employed, having built a record studio business, uh, recording, uh, sorry, a recording studio business from the ground up over the last 10 years. During that time, they donated their recording and sound skills to the Summerfest Celebration in Bountiful, Utah, to local school productions and many other worthy causes. 
Um, so seems like a very nice couple. And unfortunately, their life together cut short. Uh, Melissa Cochran still in the hospital. And then, you know, you look at some of the past statements that made because, you know, they live in an open border society. You know, you have this, and Donald Trump Jr. was going after the London mayor on Twitter uh, yesterday. Uh, the mayor there, London Mayor uh, Sadiq Khan, warned Londoners that terrorist attacks are, quote, part and parcel of living in a big city in the wake of uh, the September bombing in New York City. Since when do we just accept that we're a nation, that we're going to have terrorist attacks? Why do we accept that? You know, when President Trump was elected, he was elected based on dreaming big, on not accepting being told no, and not being ex uh, told and not accepting that we just can't do it, that we've done it for so many years and it's never going to change, that Washington is what it is, and you can't shake up the system, and you can't drain the swamp. No, 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 no. Okay? I've been told no my whole life. And I continue to defy that. I'm not looking for credit. I'm just stating the fact. When do you start accepting things that is very dangerous, that gives power to these thugs, these terrorists? And when do you change that and say, no, we're not going to accept this. It's not part and parcel of living in a big city. We need to secure our nation. We need to secure our cities, not just the United States, but they need to do in the EU. And that's why Britain left the EU. And we need to start changing things and not accepting this is a losing mentality that this London mayor has, that he said in September, well, this is just, you know, part for the course of being in a big city. No, okay? The city's job is to protect. The government's job uh, any government's job is to protect its citizens, and this should not be accepted. And there needs to be a change in policy, not just in the United States, but across the world, and that's going to be from a nationalist, uh, populist perspective of saying we're not going to take this line down and we're going to change. We're going to be resilient. We're, gonna, we're going to stand up, but we're also going to protect our citizens and change things and implement extreme vetting. And find out who these thugs are and shut down radical mosques and not be beholden to political correctness. Because, let's face it, while not all Muslims are radicals, they're not speaking up. They need to. We need to work with them. But there is a radical version of this religion, this ideology that has to be defeated or more people are going to die. And we're seeing it. And we're seeing the threats. When are people going to wake up? When we have another 9-11? It's time to wake up now, and it's, start, and it's time to start to implement policies and end the political division and just protect the country and do your job. Um, the U.S. Uh, a U.S. Uh, Israeli team is arrested in Israel for Jewish center bomb threats. You know, there's been dozens of these bomb threats against Jewish community centers in the U.S., Australia, and New Zealand, and the suspect whose identity remains sealed pursuant to a court order. They just always kept people's names sealed. We'll talk about unmasking coming up. Um, well, this was a, a dual U.S.-Israeli national, according to a police spokesman. Um, U.S. Federal, federal authorities have been investigating a surge of threats 
against Jewish organizations, including more than 100 bomb threats and separate waves over the past three months targeting Jewish community centers, and this person um, was arrested uh, earlier. Um, all right, so when we come back, you know, I speak. by the way, just speaking of draining the swamp, and there's a story of uh, Hillary Clinton, um, a, or Hillary Clinton-related uh, staffer, a Democrat, um, Florida Representative uh, Al C. Hastings, is the focus of a complaint filed by a government watchdog organization over payments he made to his longtime girlfriend and others going back decades. He basically hired family members and gave them a maximum taxpayer salary. How nice of him. And it's not the first time that he's been in hot water. In 1998, Congress voted, actually, to impeach Hastings, then a Florida judge, over conspiracy and obstruction of justice for soliciting a $150,000 bribe to return reducing sentences of two mob-connected felons. And this is to, you know, our—this is what's the swamp. And they just hand over a taxpayer dollars to fund crime. Free in the swamp. We're going to talk about intelligence coming up. Trump is vindicated— We'll talk about Gorsuch as well, and the Democrats continue obstruction. Uh, plus, you know, Rachel Maddow, she's still not, she's still blaming other people. We'll get into all of that as we, we continue on the Neil Akerson Show podcast on this Thursday. Don't go anywhere. It's time to dream big. Neil A. Crusoe tells you what you need to know on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry car changing lanes you want to meet me for pizza stop sign intersection clear yeah street pizza sounds good ball in street girl in street (gasps) it's hard to concentrate on two things at once like texting and driving stop the text stop the wrecks how will you stop texting and driving tell us at stoptextstoprex.org Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. I'm not. M2. I'm not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. They're passionate, driven, and motivated to make America great again. President Donald J. Trump and Neil A. Caruso. It's the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast. Who is the leader of the Democratic Party right now? Well, President Obama was the president of the United States until just a matter of a weeks ago. I, I don't think that he can be dismissed as the leader of the Democratic Party. Uh, Hillary Clinton did not win the election, but a respected leader. But we have we have leaders for all different aspects of it. The Democratic Party is a congressional party, and we have leaders in Congress. 
yeah, who's the leader of the Democratic Party? Uh, Obama? Oh, no, he's gone. Uh, Hillary was rejected. Um, rejected. Remember that commercial? <laughs> um, yeah, Nancy Pelosi last night on uh, AC360, uh, Anderson Cooper show on CNN. Who's the leader? Uh, um, uh, humana, well, it's definitely not me, because I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm just a cuckoo bird from California. Um, geez, that's the future of the Democratic Party, folks. They have no clue, and Pelosi would have been, we played this on my Sunday show a couple weeks ago, they, Pelosi would be gone if Hillary was president already. They, they have no idea what direction they're headed in. They're caught in between going so far radical left or moderate. They don't even know. All they're doing is obstructing. And the Neil Gorsuch uh, confirmation hearings wrap up today on this Thursday. And, um, well, you know, Senator uh, Chuck Schumer, well, you know, he just, he's kind of folded his conscience. You know, he just, he doesn't feel it. Um, this is what Chucky had to say. After careful deliberation, I have concluded that I cannot support Judge Neil Gorsuch's nomination to the Supreme Court. His nomination will have a cloture vote. He will have to earn 60 votes for confirmation. My vote will be no, and I urge my colleagues to do the same. To my Republican friends who think that if Judge Gorsuch fails to reach 60 votes, we ought to change the rules, I say if this nominee cannot earn 60 votes, a bar met by each of President Obama's nominees and George Bush's last two nominees, the answer isn't to change the rules, it's to change the nominee. This morning I'd like to lay out the reasons why I'll be voting no on this nomination. First, Judge Gorsuch was unable to sufficiently convince me that he'd be an independent check on a president who has shown almost no restraint from executive overreach. Second, he was unable to convince me that he would be a mainstream justice who could rule free from the biases of politics and ideology. His career and judicial record suggest not a neutral legal mind, but someone with a deep-seated conservative ideology. He was groomed by the Federalist Society and has not shown one inch of difference between his views and theirs. And finally, he is someone who almost instinctively favors the powerful over the weak, <clears throat> corporations over working Americans. There could not be a worse time for someone with those instincts. Judge Gorsuch's opportunity to disabuse us of all these objections was in the hearing process. But he declined to answer question after question after question with any substance. He can't answer questions. Because if he did, he would automatically be out from re Republicans and conservatives as well. Because as we went over the last two days, if a Supreme Court justice is any a chance of getting on the bench, they have to remain neutral. They cannot prejudge something. So that argument is wrong. The second thing is, you know, okay, his record shows that he's more conservative as a judge. What did you think you were going to get? Now, he's never ruled on an abortion case. You can very well have had a conservative really, like, you know, has ruled against abortion. 
And they want me to Gorsuch, but where do you think you were going to expect? You lost the presidency. They're just being sore losers. You lost in November. You're done. Americans voted you out incrementally since 2009. You're obliterated. The future of your party is done. And it's amazing that Chuck Schumer is still in there. I sure as hell didn't vote for him. Um, and Schumer, okay, is just obstructing everything that Trump puts forth. But Gorsuch is an honest man. We went through his record on this podcast. We went through his decisions, what he has decided on. He's comes across very well, and he should not be put up to this. Now, the whole, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, Merrick Garland wasn't even given a shot. Well, listen, Joe Biden, way back when, in 2006, said that uh, if George W. Bush were to nominate a, uh, someone on a vacancy in the last um, in the last year of his presidency that he urged all of his colleagues not to hear it not to hear the nominee that's Joe Biden said that so now fast forward to 2016 it's the last year of President Obama okay there Republicans were under no obligation to hear Merrick Garland Especially they had hope, not much hope, but they had hope that they'd have a Republican president. And guess what? They won. And that's what Americans voted for as a top uh, voting item. If you look at the exit polls, if you trust those. But more scientific polls show that people voted on the Supreme Court. So, you know, Schumer's down to filibuster. I say go nuclear. Now, Democrats have, with Harry Reid, have used a nuclear option to... Just need 51 votes. You don't need cloture. You could go, you could pass that. And, you know, Harry Reid changed the rules when the Democrats have power. So do the same thing. Now, they didn't do it with the Supreme Court nominee. And frankly, I'd love to be able to, to work with both sides, but clearly they're not going to. And to launch this smear campaign against anyone who President Trump puts forth is just inappropriate, and it's just typical liberal politics. Um, they're going to fight everything, and guess what? They are going to lose everything. On to intelligence. Now, Devin Nunez, in case you didn't hear it, I actually do have the clip. I was intending on playing, and I have it uh, somewhere here, and I could play you what Devin Nunez said um, yesterday, that President Trump was under surveillance, which we know already, let me give you the latest, but this is what happened yesterday in case you didn't listen in yesterday's podcast. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as uh, promised, I'm going to continue to keep you apprised of new developments. Um, uh, some significant developments, uh, I think, occurred over the course of the last uh, few days with information that was, that was brought to my attention. Uh, and I'm going to just sort of read a, uh, a very brief statement, and that's about all I can tell you, uh, but I want to keep you fully informed of what's uh, happening. Uh, at our open hearing on Monday, I encouraged anyone who has information about relative topics, including surveillance on President-elect Trump or his transition team, to come forward and speak to the House Intelligence Committee. I also said that while there was not a physical wiretap of Trump Tower, I was concerned that other surveillance activities were used against President Trump and his associates. 
So first, I recently confirmed that on numerous occasions, the intelligence community incidentally collected information about U.S. citizens involved in the Trump transition. Details about U.S. persons associated with the incoming administration, details with little or no apparent foreign intelligence value, were widely disseminated in intelligence community reporting. Third, I have confirmed that additional names of Trump transition team members were unmasked. And fourth and finally, I want to be clear, none of this surveillance was related to Russia or the investigation of Russian activities or of the Trump team. The House Intelligence Committee will thoroughly investigate surveillance and its subsequent dissemination to determine a few things here that I want to read off. Who was aware of it? Why it was not disclosed to Congress? Who requested and authorized the additional unmasking? Whether anyone directed the intelligence community to focus on Trump associates? And whether any laws, regulations, or procedures were violated? I've asked the directors of FBI, NSA, and CIA to expeditiously comply with my March 15th letter that you all received a couple weeks ago and to provide a full account of these surveillance activities. I informed Speaker Ryan this morning of this new information and I will be going to the White House this afternoon to share what I know with the President and his team. All right, so Devin Nunez yesterday, he is the House Intelligence Chair um, so today, though, he comes under fire from Democrats saying, well, Devin Nunez cannot be impartial anymore, and he told the president before he told us. First of all, the president already knows, so the fact that Nunez saying Trump needed to know about the surveillance, he knew already. He was the one that, that asked Congress to investigate. The president, as I've said all week, knows all the intelligence that's going on, okay? So President Trump knows already, and if he didn't know that's a problem. So he knew that he was surveilled. He just wanted it out in, in an open forum because he came under so much fire of the wiretapping allegations. And I don't blame President Trump for getting all PO'd about being wiretapped, being surveilled. As we know that a Pfizer request, we only know that because of leaks, a Pfizer request was granted in October to monitor the Trump organization, a server that was allegedly tied to a Russian bank, which we find out through some reporting from Circa News, was associated with a Hillary Clinton supporter and an IT specialist. Boom. Um, the problem with all of these leaks, which is the larger issue, and we know that Trump has surveilled, that they surveilled on a political adversary, that's huge. The problem here that's bigger than Watergate is the unmasking of names. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's name should have never been released. What intelligence officers do is they refer to people, even if it's, quote, incidental, which I don't believe that for a second. I think everything is very well calculated, and they know damn well what they're doing. And they knew that they were spying on a political adversary, and they wanted to gain a leg up. And why do I come to that conclusion? Because we know that the Democrats play dirty politics all primary season to first in the primary. They wanted to uh, for Hillary Clinton to beat Bernie Sanders, so they handed over debate questions. They ran smear campaigns against President Trump 
and they focus tested and tried to find any dirt that they could. Yet NBC miraculously found a tape that was leaked to Washington Post, and we know through NBC sources that that Hollywood Access tape was planted in the Washington Post to air two days before a presidential debate to ruin Trump because they couldn't believe, they couldn't fathom that he could come that far and that close to being president. And guess what? He is president. Grow up and move on. Um, the unmasking, though, Bob Woodward, you know Bob Woodward. He was one of the journalists who investigated um, uh, uh, Nixon, President Nixon, for uh, Watergate. And Bob Woodward of the Washington Post warned that there are people from the Obama administration who could be facing criminal charges for unmasking the names of the Trump transition team members from surveillance of foreign officials. Now, let's get this straight. Not only are leaks illegal, and they're rampant, and we need to end it. There are very few people, and it should be pretty easy to find out the people who leaked and the people who knew this intelligence and unmasked names. That is a very high felony of the Espionage Act. And so when you're dealing with names that are released, if they are intercepted on communications with foreign nationals that are being surveilled by our intelligence, those names should be masked. That's an intelligence term. It's a very clear standard of the Espionage Act. And for those names to be released and leaked to the public in an effort to smear the Trump campaign, that is a very high felony, it's a very high offense, and there's only very few people that would have that information. There should be felony charges. And like I said, the Obama, and I've been talking about this, the Obama administration holdovers, and maybe Obama pulling the strings, you know, behind the scenes, you know, he set up this nerve center in his home with Valerie Jarrett, a former Obama administration official, in his D.C. home to ruin Trump. They're doing everything they can to bring down President Trump at the cost of American lives. This is no joke. I am not making this up. This is very well documented. I am not fake news. I'm clearly I'm citing real sources here. You are fake news. Okay. This is um, very upsetting and very alarming, and you have to understand the connections here. You have to connect the dots to understand how this is all put together. Unmasking is a felony, and you have Bob Woodward, who is not a Trump supporter by any means, and he says there should be felonies. This is bigger than Watergate, folks, because what we're having is is a reverse. It is the Obama administration leftovers. It is the government's that is working to undermine a president. And the president is trying to have a smaller government, less bureaucracy, and change things up and work for the American people again. Um, as we're talking, uh, the White House, according to NBC News, negotiations are over, says the White House, uh, calling for a Friday vote on the GOP health care plan, House leadership scrambling to secure the needed votes, and apparently the White House is saying that if um, if uh, this does not pass, then they're going to leave Obamacare and let it fail on its own. Now, here's the deal. Trump said, I could very well do that. It's already failed. You have Humana, Aetna, they're all leaving insurance markets. You have premiums going higher at the end of this year. They didn't want to do it that way because even if they let it blow up on its own completely, you know, you have a responsibility as a lawmaker, as someone who works for us to ensure that 
doesn't happen. So I don't think that's smart. I don't think you let it blow up on its own because we already know the effects of it. And while, yes, if it blows up on its own, it's going to blow up in the Democrats' faces and you can blame them. But what is the right thing to do here? The right thing to do is to fix this damn thing, to come together as a party and as a country and repeal it and replace it. And let's vote on it tomorrow and let's move forward. And even if the vote's not tomorrow, take your time and get the right plan. It would blow up on its own, but it's not the right thing to do. It's just not. Um, let me uh, just a couple of uh, lighter things. Rachel Maddow, because I teased that before. She says, well, the, she's on The View today, and she goes, well, you know, those tax returns that she received, they might have come from the president himself. So now we're blaming her own audience, and you have a drop 36% in her ratings the next day after she released these. And I guess as she's reading it, she goes, oh, he paid his taxes. He paid more than, than the parent company of NBC, which is Comcast. He paid a higher tax rate than Obama. And, uh, and so Maddow goes, well, you know, they may, maybe they were leafing the president himself to make himself look good. You think he has the time to do that? Give me a break. He doesn't want his returns out there. And then she, she goes, my, my, uh, he is the only president of 40 years who we don't have his financial information. That's false because we actually do have his financial records. We don't have his um, tax returns, but they don't reveal much. We know more from his financial statements. So that's just a joke. Um, and then, uh, oh, let me, this is a funny story. I'll, I'll leave you with it. Well, not funny, but uh, a good, you know, fits the week. Put it that way. Um, spring break this week. Uh, I've never been a big spring breaker myself, but um, a mother of a spoiled teenager on a spring, on a spring break sent the local sheriff's office a thank you letter for arresting her daughter. The incident happened March 16th in Walton County, Florida. That's when an officer who works for the local sheriff's department saw a 15-year-old girl holding a can of beer on the beach. 15 years old. By the way, at 15 years old, what do you need a break from? 15 years old, what the hell do you need a break from? Give me a break. What kind of stress do you have at 15 years old? Spring break. Give me a break. All right, so <laughs> give me a break from spring break. I'm sick of it already. Uh, so this 15-year-old is drinking a can of beer on the beach, and the sheriff's office, they arrested her. They have a zero-tolerance tol policy when it comes to underage drinking. So the girl was promptly arrested with along, along with several of other underage drinkers. The mother, um, you know, and by the way, the sheriff's candidate said, we're not trying to ruin kids' lives, but got to protect them from themselves. Um, and, uh, the mother was actually glad that she was arrested because she warned her before the trip and she writes this letter. I'm going to read you the letter. She writes, in this day, cops are getting a bad rap. So I wanted to say thank you. Yesterday, my daughter was one of the thousands of spoiled spring breakers, quote, living it up on the beach. She got arrested for underage drinking. She was holding a can of beer on the beach, a stupid move that I warned her about before she left. But I'm just a mother, so, quote, in, ear, in one ear, out the other. The arrest scared the, in all caps, hell out of her daughter, and I'm hoping she learned her lesson. Um, the reason that I am sending this, this is the mother's letter I'm reading, um, is that every officer that I talked to or that I could hear in the background talking to her was so nice. Firm, but nice. I'm sure that, I'm sure each one was rolling their eyes when my daughter said, can you talk to my mom? But, 
each and every officer was respectful and assured me she would get back to her house safely. Um, for a mom hundreds of miles away, that was very reassuring. I know that you all have to deal with this on a daily basis, but uh, which must be completely annoying, and I'm very sorry my daughter added to your workload yesterday. They say you always have one child that makes you go gray early, and she is mine. Thank you for saving me a few more gray hairs last night. Um, I thought that the letter was nice in this day and age where, like I mentioned before, police officers have a target on their backs. Um, they're doing their job. They're trying to protect people. Um, and on the spring break note, honestly, it's such utter nonsense. Like, no one needs a week off from... Uh, because you go partying, you waste your time for a week, you end up exhausted, and you're unproductive the next week. Personally, never been a partier like that. I don't think that uh, the spring break is uh, is necessary for people who are young. You know, maybe when you're 45 and truly have gray hair and you're working full-time, maybe then you should be able to take a week off, but most people don't. Um, one last thing, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going, just on a patriotic note... Um, the United States, they won in the World Baseball Classic. Baseball season. I'm actually wearing a Mets cap as we do the uh, podcast today. So I'm a big Mets fan. The, uh, they didn't watch any of the World Baseball Classic. Um, just on at weird times. But the uh, United States beat Puerto Rico to win their first World Baseball Classic title. So congratulations to the USA. In fact, the White House said that the Patriots, Tom Brady and the Patriots, they found his jersey, by the way. It was stolen by a uh, journalist. Fake news. Stolen by a journalist. You are fake news. Um, the Patriots will be at the White House in a couple of weeks to uh, celebrate their win. Uh, so that'll be uh, something funny to watch. In fact, the president today with truckers. He was having such a great time. He was pulling the horn. It was hysterical to see. Having a good time with the blue-collar workers, you the American people. We'll see what happens with this health care bill, by the way, folks. Uh, Friday. Uh, it will Apparently, it's going to go for a vote tomorrow. We may or may not have a podcast. I wasn't planning on it originally, but we have major breaking news. We will have one, and we'll get you everything you need to know because my duty's to you. God bless you, and God bless America. The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to neilacaruso.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.